And Jesus answered, saying to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted to you. I was thinking this, this evening about a story my folks have told me pretty much my whole life. My dad was preaching in various churches throughout the country, and he went to this one particular church, and they told him that there was a sister there. I believe she was the daughter of an elder, and this sister had been seeking the Holy Spirit her entire life, and she was 36 years old, and she had not yet received what she was seeking. And my dad, I believe, ministered in the meeting, and he noticed her that she was seeking the Spirit, and so he took her, he and my mom took her into a prayer room by herself for whatever reason they felt to take her out of the crowd, and they shut the door, and they began to pray and cry out to God with this lady. And sure enough, the presence of God came down very close. This lady was in stammering lips. She was just beginning to speak in tongues for the first time. And they were praying earnestly. And all of a sudden, the door of the prayer room opened up and her father walked in. And with his southern drawl, he said, That's not how I receive the Holy Ghost. And immediately, the presence of God lifted from the room. She stopped praying, and she kind of whined out, Oh, I'm just never going to get it. And everything stopped. And I believe my dad went over and laid his hand on the man's shoulder, and he said, You, would you turn back around and go out that door that you just came in and let us pray? Which he did, and they continued to pray. And lo and behold, she got the Holy Spirit. You see, God wants to do something. God wants to take us somewhere. God has some promise, some threshold that He wants us to cross and to come into a new place in Him. But we're not going to be able to view that promised land through the eyes of the carnal mind and the eyes of faith at the same time. We're going to have to choose to completely yield to one perspective or the other. But we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit which comes from God, that we may know what is freely given us by God. This we also speak, not in language which man's wisdom teaches us, but in that which the spirit teaches, adapting spiritual words to spiritual truths. The unspiritual man rejects the teachings of the Spirit of God. To him, they are folly, and he cannot learn them because they are spiritually appraised. But the spiritual man appraises everything, although he himself is appraised by none. He says, God is doing something in the Spirit, and he gives us spiritual words 
for spiritual truths. But he said there's a certain perspective that is native to the natural man. And it completely precludes his ability to understand what is happening in the spirit. He just cannot get it. Because the things that are happening in the spirit cannot be appraised by the mind of the flesh. They are only evaluated by the mind of the spirit. Now what does it mean to appraise something? It means to assess its value, to determine its cost, its worth. Jesus once said, do not cast pearls before swine and do not give that which is holy to dogs. Paul is saying the exact same thing here. He's saying the carnal mind is the swine. The carnal mind, the carnal man is the swine. It's the pig. And when God's pearls land in front of him, he does not appraise them. He cannot recognize them for what they are. I've told you before, to a swine, there's no difference between a pearl and a pebble. And pigs will eat rocks. They'll chomp down and bite on the pearls and gobble them up just like they will the pebbles. They don't appreciate the distinction in the value between a pebble and a pearl. And when we are carnally minded, when we're caught in this cobweb of human thinking, we cannot recognize the things of the Spirit. The spectacles through which we view people and circumstances, they completely shut out the things of the Spirit. Just like we can take polarized glasses, polarizing sunglasses, and put them on, and the glare and the reflection is gone everywhere we look. In the same way, the mind of the flesh, the perspective of the flesh, completely cuts God out of the picture. He's just invisible. The things of the Spirit, we walk right by them because they are spiritually appraised. And the carnal mind has got to debase itself and humble itself, be taken out of the way before we can get to that place where we can see through the eyes of faith. We're talking about seeing, but you can also use the analogy of hearing, right? You know how many times God spoke or God did something in the New Testament and a handful of people would hear this incredible word from God. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. But other people would just hear thunder. Saul heard the Lord Jesus giving him specific directions. But those who were around him, many of them just heard thunder. Well, in the same way with our vision, God can be doing something in the spirit and because of the pride of our carnal mind, we just see a blur. We just see fuzz. We see unclarity. And other people are seeing angels. Other people are seeing pillars of fire. Other people are seeing a flaming sword. Other people are seeing the kingdom of God. And we're just seeing this blur of confusion. Jesus said, quoted Isaiah when he said, having eyes to see, you see, but you do not perceive. How is that possible for someone to see but not perceive? It's impossible to understand, to receive in the flesh the spiritual things of God. Isn't that what Romans 8 says? To be carnally minded is death. We cannot subject ourselves to the law of the Spirit. It's impossible the two are implacably opposed. How do you know that you don't come to meeting after meeting, circumstance after circumstance, and you miss 
the answers you've been seeking. You miss everything you've been begging him for. You just walk right by it. Everything he's been longing to give you. What if the only difference between the book of Acts and today is right here? It's in how prominent and dominant the mind of man has come, become. When was the relationship with God cut short and abridged? Was it not in the garden? Was it not when they chose human knowledge, the tree of knowledge over the tree of life, that suddenly they're put out of the presence of God and a flaming sword is there? You see, God wants to do something. God starts moving on your heart. God starts speaking to you. But then your mind is like a cobweb. It's like a fisher's net. And it lays a trap for your own feet. It starts tangling you in all these questions and thoughts and doubts and reconsiderations. You're all wrapped up in it, as tight as you can be, your legs, your hands. I just want to do God's will. God's will can't be done like that. The fear of man brings a snare. I just want to do God's will. Lord, help me. How do you overcome this carnal mind? Does anybody want to get free of this carnal mind? Do you know what I'm talking about when you start to obey God and it catches you by the feet? And you start thinking it over backwards and forwards and side to side and before you know you're back in your seat? Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. When we begin to come to God, we don't just have to believe that God is, but we can't be second-guessing our own prayers, our own efforts toward God. If we're groping after the Spirit, we can't be saying, that's not the way I received it. If we're trying to get into the presence of God, there's one thing we've got to be doing, and that is putting aside everything of that carnal mind. All its questions, all its doubts, all its second-guessing, and pressing against the wind into the purpose of God. Like Peter, they went out on the boat and the wind was contrary. He's not just walking on water, he's walking on dangerous waves, amen, as he's going out there toward the Lord. And he's having to put everything out of his consciousness except fixing his eyes on Jesus. Amen, therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted to you. What does that mean, believe that you, will, you have received them? Does that not make belief? Power of positive thinking? When he says, believe that you have received them, what is he talking about? Thank you, Jesus. There's a parallel to this in 1 John, isn't there? Here he says, whatever you ask, believe that you receive. In 1 John he says, if we ask anything according to his will, we know he hears us. So when God speaks, faith comes by hearing that word from God. We know it's God's will to give us this victory, this promise. And we know that the only thing standing between this promise and us is our faith or our lack of faith. So we say, God, once I have become single-minded in my readiness, in my determination to receive this, then I know I'm receiving it because you already said it's your will. That's why faith came into my heart in the first place. When God says, you can overcome this. You don't have to say, maybe I'll overcome it. You pray knowing for certain that you will overcome it. When God says, I will give you power, you don't say, okay, let me try God out. 
Test, test, test. Is there power? Putting the two wires together, spark, spark. God, are you giving me power? You say, no, God, I believe your word more than anything. I believe it more than my own senses. I believe it more than my past. I believe it more than my eyes. I believe, amen. Therefore, I am receiving power even as I pray. This word that he uses two times here is the same word James uses. Doubt. What is doubt? Doubt represents the conflict between the promise of God based on his word and the mind of man. Amen. Based on a lie in the garden. Amen. Faith and doubt are having a war. One's trying to pull the other. And if faith doesn't win out, if you don't sever yourself from the cobwebs, the net, everything that so easily besets and entangles and run in the path of his command, doubt is going to win out. Amen. What is this word doubt in the Greek? It's the word diacrino. Now, I looked up the word doubt originally thinking it would mean something like this. To call into question. To disbelief. To waver. And there is one word translated doubt that is simply to waver. But this word most often translated doubt is diacrino. And you know what the root word of diacrino is? Croesus. The word to judge. When Jesus says this is the, the judgment that light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. He said this is the crisis. Diacrino does not mean to call into question. It means to make a decision, to judge, to evaluate, to assess. So why does Jesus say, if you ask anything in faith, without making a decision, without judging, without assessing. It just means for you to be the one to determine whether this is the right course or not. It means for you to be the one to judge whether this is best or not. For me to doubt is not to say I don't believe it. It's very similar to anacrino. It means for me to process it through my old dead carnal mind that can receive nothing from God. That carnal mind which is death it means for me to take the promise and the word of God and process it through that carnal mind that cannot please God. Is an assessment called for? Yes, indeed. Is a judgment needed? Yes, it is. Is a decision called for? Yes, indeed it is. But all of that is supposed to be by the Holy Spirit. We speak spiritual words for spiritual truths. We're groping after him in the spirit, if happily we might find him. Amen. But as soon as we take the promises of the spirit and subject them to the processes of the mind, we're dead in the water and the mountain stays immovable before us. The carnal mind is just like a wood chipper. Those things that they feed the, the trees in. That's the carnal mind. Brrr, gobbling up and chipping everything of the promises of God until it's all fragmented and dead. A pile of well-chipped refuse at the other end of the carnal mind. It doesn't say that from the mind we believe. In Romans 10.10 10, it says from the heart we believe and from the mouth we confess. God put eternity in our hearts and he's not wanting to subject himself to our mind to see if we deem him worthy of our obedience. 
No, that's not what he's interested in. He wants to move by us in the spirit and see if something leaps within our soul that says, God, don't leave me behind. God, I've got a mountain between me and you, but I believe, help my unbelief. That's what God is wanting to do. We're talking about everything that God has for us, whether it be a word, whether it be love, whether it be power, whether it be a gift of the spirit, Everything that God has for us that is born in our hearts by faith when we hear his word. We need to hear his word if we're praying for healing. We need to hear him speak that. And then we can have the faith to believe. But there are many things he has already spoken and says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Amen. He says, I'll give you wisdom if you ask. He says, I'll give you power. He says, I'll give you everything you need for life and godliness. Amen. There are a bunch of things we already have the word for. Amen. And we can believe without doubting. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, 2, If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But then he contrasts knowing with this. He says, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. God becomes the assessor. God becomes the judger. Amen. God becomes the one making the decision. Do you understand? That's where we want to be. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, you know all things. But it's love. It's not intellectual gymnastics. It's love. It comes from the heart. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith. Ask in faith. What does it mean to ask in faith? What is faith in the weapons of our warfare? What is faith? It's a shield. So when you ask in faith, it means you ask inside the protection of the word of God. And all those fiery darts of lies cannot penetrate your heart because you're asking in faith with shields on every side. Let him ask in faith without any doubting, without any diacrino, evaluating, assessing, judging, deciding. We're asking in faith because God is already assessed. God is already evaluated. God is already judged. And God has already decided that I have a victory today. Amen. And I'm going to press into it believing I've already received it. When you ask, believe that you have already received it and it will be granted to you. You're binding on earth. It's bound in heaven. And it's just going to come back down to earth as the victory you're praying for. You've already received it in heaven. But it's going to come down, and you're going to receive it on earth. Let him ask without any doubting. For the one who diacrinos is like the surf of the sea. The surf comes in, and the surf goes out. Comes in, and it goes out. It never goes all the way forward. It never keeps a continuous motion forward. But the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. He starts to move in the direction of obedience, but then he starts evaluating and assessing and questioning and deciding. And then he starts to move again, but then he starts questioning and doubting. And he never gets any momentum. He's just swinging there. Swinging! Amen. Never able to escape the place he's in. And it's all because of his carnal mind. He can be sitting there praying, saying, Oh God, help me! But then he starts saying, is that really praying? He says, whatever you ask, don't be doubting what you asked. Oh, God, please open this door. Do you think God's going to really open this door? 
That's just the way the carnal mind works. It's always laying a trap in front of us to pull us back. The devil doesn't want to lose us. And we've got to get to the place where we have that sword and we're slashing in every direction, putting aside all of those lies, all those doubts, all that unbelief. And we're just pressing God. I've got blinders on. I'm coming to you and you alone. I have my eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. God, you began it. You're going to complete it. And my faith is staying alive while I'm seeing you. Amen. Instability. That's all it comes from. It's the carnal mind in conflict with the word of God. That's what instability is. If you feel unstable, if you feel insecure, your carnal mind is still alive. There is great stability to those whose minds are stayed on him. Isn't that what he says? He is able to keep in perfect peace those whose minds are fixed on him. Just as you cannot serve two masters, you cannot be entertaining the perspective of the flesh and the perspective of God at the same time. You cannot be receiving the Holy Spirit and also thinking about what you look like at the same time. You cannot be worried about failing and also burdened by love and giving at the same time. One is going to win out over the other. You cannot be running after God with all your might like blind Bartimaeus. Amen. And also worried about what other people are going to say or do. It just doesn't work. Whatever viewpoint you choose It will be to the exclusion of the other. We'll have to block out of our mind all the rationalizations, all the attractions, all the sensations, the fears, the words, the past of the carnal mind, if ever we would grope after and apprehend the promise of God by the Spirit. It's like the vases in the face. You can't focus on one and the other at the same time. You're either going to see the one or you're going to see the other. Amen. You can't see both. You're either going to see the promise, the three-dimensional promise, or you're just going to see the surface and be dismayed. Amen. But you cannot see both. You're going to have to yield in word, in thought, in feeling, in action. Yield completely to one perspective or you're going to be taken captive by the other. You're not going to be able to maintain both. I think of a story, Sister Jean Stein, or a, a little something, Sister Jean Stein once told my mom that I believe her dad had told her. Once upon a time, a six-legged spider was envious of a centipede. And he looked back and he saw those 100 legs of the centipede. He thought, man, I thought I had a lot of legs. Look at that centipede. So he devised a little scheme, and he went to the centipede, and he said, oh, dear centipede, you are so gifted. Look at your legs. You have 50 on each side. Tell me, centipede, do you move 50 at once and then 50 on the other side? Do you move them one at a time? Do you alternate between legs? How do you do it, centipede? And the poor centipede who'd walked his entire life and never had a trip up once, he started looking down at his legs and evaluating and judging and deciding and processing. And pretty soon he was in this tangled knot and he could never walk again. Amen. And the spider went away laughing. Amen. That spider is the devil. And he knows that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So his tactic is to get the things of the spirit all tangled up in the cobweb of the carnal mind and then watch us in contortions trying to figure it out in the flesh. And all God is wanting us to do is to circumcise our hearts and come with that raw love 
and yearning after him, amen, and say, Lord, I don't know how to walk. I don't know where to go, but I love you, God, and I know I'm known by you. Would you lead my heart? God, I believe. Help my unbelief, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I think of King Solomon when he first inherited the kingdom up there at Gilgal the night before he had his dream. He prayed and he humbled himself before the Lord and he said, Oh, great God, you have put me as king over this great people of yours. And I, I am but a child that needs to be led by the hand. Therefore, speak to me. That's how we're all supposed to feel. Amen. I can't do this, God. This isn't going to work. Amen. But please, stay foremost in my vision. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the, in the light of your glory and grace. you got to see Jesus. And then it's not hard to ignore the world. you got to see His Word. you got to see His power. But you got to see His love and His purpose of love for you. Amen. And then it's not so hard to ignore the world and to stop being the judge of your own life and of His Word. It says the pure in heart shall see God. It says those who have clean hands and a pure heart will stand in His presence. We all have a carnal mind, but we all also have tasted of the mind of the Spirit. We know those times when the glory of God captured our heart and the Spirit of God animated our mind and we were in light, we were in heavenly places and we felt free, amen, and alive. We cared about no one. We all know those times when we come to live for God in that place. Amen. That's when the promises are going to become ours. That's when the miracles are going to be realized. That's when the mountains are going to move. I will give them an undivided heart, and I will put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my ways. They will be my people, and I will be their God. And again, this scripture, the eyes of the Lord search to and fro over the face of the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Undividedly loyal. Amen. Amen.